0: Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. As always, this is Sam. I've got Andy here with me today. And Andy, before we get started, I've got a, a little bit of a story for you that I heard just about five minutes ago that I wanted Do to bring tell. to your attention. I know that you and I both love to get our blood boiled a little bit, and I figured that's a good way to get this Saturday morning kicked off. Like, have some coffee and then read some just outrage porn. I'm in, just-
1: I'm in way too good a mood today, so by all yeah. means, ruin my day
0: okay so get this um friend of mine friend of a friend just had their wedding in fort worth and i'm gonna go ahead and name drop the venue because this is such a scummy activity it's the fort worth botanical garden The i think okay. it's the i think it's a japanese garden
1: the jv garden compared to the arboretum of dallas yeah, but, exactly. okay go for it um
0: it's nothing like the og the og would never pull off this kind of tomfoolery. of course not they have um, dignity yeah you don't even know what it is <laughs> You're just like, Yeah, f them. No, uh, But
1: dude, I've I've had a wedding, so I know that dude the whole industry is rotten to the core, so <laughs> I'm prepared really trying to pass one on you. I
0: know. Well, so anyways, they get the people that are um, having this wedding, I think the bride, gets a call five days before the wedding and it is revealed to them that because of COVID I'm guessing when everybody was booking these events, you know, a year out, and people really didn't know what was going to happen with COVID. Because right, right now, like things are kind of slowly calming down, especially in Texas. Yeah, and goodness, events, event venues, things like that are opening up, no masks, all that kind of stuff. But a year ago, we didn't know that that was going to be the case, right? Yeah, especially outdoor venues, they're like wide open. So right, this wedding venue decides because of that that they are going to purposely book two weddings every day. No, dude. Yes, they're gonna like, book two weddings every day, and they just
1: owned up to this. It wasn't like we made a mistake. And there's two. It's like no, we're we're double. Yeah, you, let me and, let me. You and this let me, person me, are gonna fight for your airline seat.
0: Like <laughs> yeah, okay. So that we don't get sued into oblivion, uh let me. I'll I'll, I'll Allegedly. add some preface. To this. Yeah, this is all alleged, <laughs> right? I mean, I am hearing this through a third party, and also I, I say that they're double booking every day. i that was the way to describe to me through somebody. And also it could be the case that they just double booked for this day. But the way it was described is because of COVID they double booked. So they basically, their starting point of a negotiation was they called both weddings and were like, Hey, how would you feel about just putting a divider down the middle of the venue? And then we'll give you like five grand off. Oh my God, dude. Five days before the wedding. Like I, I mean, I don't know how your wife
1: was when you were planning the wedding. Dude, I I think there would have been violence around this event if this had happened f- within a week of my wedding. Are you kidding? Like, oh,
0: my wife was they, super calm, relative, but like compared to how most people are around their wedding, agreed, I would have same. probably I would have lost my mind. Because especially I, for what you
1: are paying, dude. Like for the price right. you pay, like five grand off. I am sure that I am sure this venue is not cheap. It's probably like twenty. So like, yeah. Now I am going to pay fifteen grand for half. I mean, you don't even get half the value. It's worth. 20%. You can like hear,
0: you can hear the other band and you can hear the other people laughing and like if you were trying to give a speech and they're like dancing. It's just there's so many things you, that You'd would have to wrong coordinate
1: almost identical timing. Like you'd have to play both brides would have to march at the same moment for it to not be ruined. Like from a videographer's standpoint, like if they're trying to film, here comes the bride and the other wedding is at a different point in their ceremony, like dude, oh my god, what that scumbags. Uh,
0: yeah, like imagine if like in the middle of the vows there was Hooping and hollering from like 10 feet away by one, like one divider. And this is a Japanese garden, so I imagine they're using like the paper uh walls, you know, like it's it just super thin. But, anyways, it's just, dude, just total scumbaggery. Like, I understand oh. wanting to like not having days off because it's like any sort of business that runs off of um, occupancy, like vacancy is very bad. But at the same time, like, that's why you have direct deposits and stuff. Yeah, I was going right. to say
1: there's so many other ways to handle that. I I've told people so. Right now, I'm I'm the best man for a wedding that's coming up this summer for my best mm-hmm. friend Ben. Um,
0: shout and, out to Ben, and also shout out to everybody else who thinks that you're their best friend. A- absolutely.
1: Uh, I I think most people are relieved to know that I don't. We think just lost I'm their all three friend. of our listeners to this. <laughs> pod. But um, no. So I and obviously like since I had already had a wedding, we had talked a little bit about the process, and I just tell everybody who has a wedding like. The industry is so absurd. It's very... I I would compare it very one-to-one to to the whole industry around uh, having a child where they know they have you. Like, you are over-leveraged. They know that you'll say yes to things that you would never say yes to in a normal purchasing situation because you're in this weird emotional state. It's the only thing I can think of where if you arrive to plan any other event in the world and you say, hey, my budget is a million dollars, someone might say... Like, if you were planning a birthday party and you said, I have a million-dollar budget, someone involved might say, like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a lot. Like, uh, we can do X, Y, Z for less than that. There is no amount of money you could take to a wedding planner where they will say that's too much. They can spend right. the GDP of an oil-producing nation on a wedding if you want to. Like, Literally. we've had wedding we had wedding planners telling us, like, you know what's really in vogue right now is to – Uh, give each guest a monogrammed bottle of wine that's been engraved with your names on it. And I was like, who who wants that? And then they were like, how did you propose to your groomsmen? I was like, I texted them and said, do you want to be my groomsman? And they're like, okay, well, just so you know, it's really in vogue right now to buy hand-carved wood boxes with a gift inside of it that asks them to be your groomsman. It's just like unlimited money holes where you can just like stuff
0: cash. When they say it's in vogue, they, that what they mean is that Madonna did it at her wedding.
1: Yeah, or, or, or maybe that. Mostly, it's just like that's like me and my job being like, hey, just so you know, it's really in vogue right now for customers to spend a hundred grand a month in their cloud infrastructure. That's it's it's really hot right now. It's going crazy. People love spending six figures. It's in vogue so, like, to give me a
0: fifty fifty thousand dollars raise right now. Yeah,
1: like what is saying. going on here? So. Yeah, it's an absurd industry in general cuz they again they just know they have you. It's also a weird thing. I've had a lot of discussions with my mom about this cuz she is, you know, she officiates weddings. She's a she's a pastor. And so she's been to ha- literally hundreds of
0: weddings. Wait, and- did you say you say you're your father was a pastor? Because I thought uh, you I, said your mother is a pastor. Because that, did, that uh, wouldn't make sense to me. Th- that, I don't that, that would be illegal, yes. Uh,
1: uh. But yes, my mother is the head pastor of uh, Alamo High Methodist in San Antonio. And so she's done a ton of weddings. And one thing that's very strange about modern weddings is that, like, even in, as late as, like, the 70s and 80s, the expectation of a wedding was very much in line with the socioeconomic status of the couple or the families. So, like people going to a normal middle or upper middle class wedding would expect like hors d'oeuvres and drinks and cake and dancing. And so you'd like get married at a church and you'd go to like a community center or a country club maybe and have punch or or drinks and dance and eat cake. It was considered something that like the Rockefellers did to like have a sit down dinner for hundreds of people. Like that was way outside the bounds of what normal people expected. Now in the age of social media and like every wedding has a hashtag – the expectation has become, like, everyone's going to have one of these, like, $50,000 weddings, and I've seen people go into debt in order to have yeah. one of these weddings, and it's so absurd, and the the industry around weddings, all the coordinators and planners and consultants, like, they're all getting paid because they're there to, like, co- they, they don't have anything to coordinate, you know, their value That's goes true. down, so they have to have, like all these moving parts in order to maintain their own existence. So it's crazy, man. I'm so glad I lucked out so hard. I had COVID and the weekend we were going to get married was the snowpocalypse in Texas. So me and my wife got married via FaceTime in my living room, just me and my wife. It was incredibly romantic and a very special story, but I didn't have to spend an absurd amount of money and I told her from the jump I I didn't care about the wedding I just wanted to be married
0: to her and it turned out that's all we got
1: so it it worked out
0: yeah there is I remember in high school we had one couple from our graduating class that got married right after high school 18 years old. I think they're still married. One of the parents, one of the sets of parents gave them, you know, a, a really good amount of money at the jump and said, you can spend this on a, on a wedding or you can spend this to buy your first home. And they spent it yeah. on their first home and they just got eloped. Good, dude. And as a high schooler, I remember kind of being like, wait, you didn't get married. What? Like, how is that? Like, it, But, but then, but now that I look at it, I'm like, man, everybody who makes that decision probably looks back like, 10 years, and they probably realize they made the right decision. You might wish that you had some sort of a party, but at the end of the day, that is the like the smart decision, I guess.
1: One, there's a whole reality show on Netflix about that, where they have people that have like $10,000 to their name, and it's like, do you want a $10,000 wedding, or do you want $10,000... Yeah, it's called down like down marriage or mortgage
0: or something of that nature. Yeah, exactly. No free and ads, ads, but...
1: And, I, and I'll say this. My mom has told me over and over again that it actually harms your marriage long-term if you make that call, that to start your marriage as this kind of insane fantasy Kim Kardashian version of your lifestyle and like go on the $20,000 honeymoon and then you have to come back and live your real life and you put yourself under financial strain, which is like the source of 87% of marital stress in my my opinion. Like fighting over money is what really puts real strain on relationships. And so I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that like, that's something that's romantic when you're young, but like every older person will be like, don't do that my parents got married super young my mom was 21 my dad was 23 and since the day i was born my parents were like do not get married young like if, if they love you they'll love you when you're 30 and you can afford it and, and yeah. so
0: i think they were happy that we took the route we did so speaking of strained marriages uh let's talk Ooh, a little good, bit about good our, uh, our, transition yeah I like it. i'm always looking for my opening um talk about Windfall, but before we get started with Windfall, if you're new to our show, please like and subscribe and give us a rating. We would greatly appreciate that, and also tell two friends, because we want to get the word out. If you are new to the show, you, you should know that this is not a spoiler-free discussion. Um, we never do spoiler-free discussions unless we explicitly say, like, hey, this just came out. Let's spend five minutes going over it. So here we go. A very spoiler-ridden discussion of Windfall. And by the way, if you haven't seen Windfall, this is the kind of movie that is greatly ruined by spoilers. In fact, yeah. I would almost go as far as to say that it's slightly ruined by watching the trailer because by the nature of the way that this story evolves, it almost works better if you don't know anything about this story and you watch it cold turkey. All I will tell you is that it's got um, Jason Segel, Lily Collins, and Jesse Plemons, and it's incredibly well written. So you got three great actors. It's a chamber drama. It's really well done. It's only an hour 30 minutes long. Go watch it. If you have watched it or you don't care about Spoilers. Then stay tuned. And Andy, before we get started, I guess I'll say this: um, you know, a little bit of peek behind the curtains. When when we do episodes, I will listen to other blogs, YouTubers, oh, yeah. pods, where where I can get them to kind of get my bearings. Great artist steal, man. Yeah, and, and and I'm a thief. And then also, it's it, I think it's important to just remind myself if I, haven't, if I haven't seen anything in a while, and also just like to more importantly if i miss something that i shouldn't have missed i just want to be aware of that agreed but i will say this i listened to a lot of folks get their videos out early because this movie just came out a few days ago a lot of people didn't like it like they they considered it very middle of the pack or below middle of the pack and i disagree with them i think they were coming from a a wrong perspective i think they they didn't understand what this film is going for it's a Hitchcockian slow burn again i call it a chamber and super super
1: minimalist man like they weren't they didn't even give the characters names i do think it's it's fair to say that if this film did not have the cast it does it wouldn't be nearly as good like so much of the weight here is carried by the body language, the emotional weight of the performances that are put on display here. If this was three nobodies, I, I, I probably wouldn't think it was as good as I do think it is. But you do have Well, three... they let the
0: actors breathe a lot. There was oh, the yeah, dialogue. For sure. You could tell that they probably had some very blank dialogue on the script. I'd love to get a hold of the script because they definitely let them freewheel a little bit in their deliveries and the, the discussions they had. Again, because this is a chamber drama, it's almost all dialogue and it all takes place in one house. And... I will say one thing that was incredible was you basically have go, going into the characters, you have basically a married couple that is their marriage is on the rocks. And then you have a guy that is robbing them. And so by the nature of those relationships, these three folks are very uncomfortable talking around each other. Right. You have a stranger yeah. with a gun and then you've got a, a, a married couple that's very strained. And so that leads to very tense and subdued dialogue that as the movie goes on and these people start getting a little bit more frazzled that dialogue starts to ramp up with each scene and they start talking more and more about how they truly feel about things and so i i think it leads to a really natural place to allow actors to be able to like i said they let the acting breathe they let the actors kind of like play off those emotions and probably freewheel a little bit
1: agreed and just to to give uh people just like at the beginning a little elevator pitch version of this plot. So we're in Ojai, California, like out in the high desert in a beautiful, I wouldn't even call it like a mansion. It's like a beautiful uh, post-war ranch style house out on an orange orchard. And we see Jason Segel's character, the robber. We don't know he's a robber yet. And he's like drinking orange juice and eating fruit right off the trees and hanging out by the
0: pool. Um, and so you're kind of like, okay, is this just like his his crib? He's chilling. I think they they do a great job of showing you that it's not his house by some of the things that he starts doing. Cause at first, like you said, he's just drinking the orange juice. So he's, he's, de- he's outside,
1: out you know, it, you don't know, but once he gets inside, yeah, you're like, okay.
0: I, I forget the exact first thing they did, but I, I, I believe that it was that he walked into the shower and just started peeing in the shower.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And well, then, it, and, yeah, the sa- just... and,
0: and then the other thing he did was like, he finished a glass of orange juice and he threw the glass just out into the open, you know, two things he wouldn't do if you were the homeowner, which again, so the, so again, this is kind of why I say at the beginning, if you didn't watch the trailer and you didn't know that he was robbing the place it'd be such a great reveal that like it wasn't his house and then the third reveal the act of or the rule of three is like when jesse plemons and lily collins character who again are credited as wife and ceo when they come up in the car you see his panic so anyways continue
1: yeah so he looks out the window and sees them arriving and when they arrive in the house he kind of hides for a second And so you're like okay is he gonna try to just like get out of here and they seem like they're uh totally fun couple on vacation. They're, like, you know, kind of messing around. He's picking her up. She's like, no, like, we need to unpack before we do anything. Like, very normal husband and wife stuff. At that point, she goes back into a room and sees him and he tells her to be quiet. He threatened, We don't see the gun for a minute. He has his hand behind his back and his waistband, like, he's got a gun, but I I found myself being like, does he really have a gun? Like, is that part of this whole dynamic yeah, here
0: they, they showed the gun but you don't know if he grabbed it you remember when he right. was like looking through the stuff he saw the handgun yeah
1: correct yeah so there is kind of this initial confrontation where he's like sit down you know hey i was just about to leave and now you've seen me so that we have an issue and there's immediately this power dynamic of he is the robber is very aware of who jesse Clemens is he's like a very clearly a very public ceo He's got uh, framed magazine covers in his office where he's like. I assume he's like a he's billionaire. On, like,
0: magazine and like cigar right. aficionado and things like that.
1: And he's he's uh, the kind of billionaire that like he he's not like uh, even a. I wouldn't even put him in the category of like a Bezos where like bad reputation, but also like, hey, he's done a lot. This is like a, a villain type CEO because his business is finding companies that he believes to be bloated and gutting them of people. Like that's the, they're kind of like Bain Capital, I guess, Of, of but like a more, uh, they use an algorithm to do it. And so his business is effectively firing people, like professionally. <laughs> he fires people in large numbers at a huge scale. And so they begin to have this weird kind of tete-a-tete where they're, he wants to get out of here. He was just about to leave with like the, I think he had like five grand that he had found in the house and Jesse Plemons who shout out to Jesse Plemons you know Dallas native Texas Tech distance learning student so I'm gonna count him as a Texas Tech uh, alum with us yeah he's a, um, he's
0: a, actually a huge Texas Tech fan by proxy even if he doesn't want, like Texas Tech he does now
1: I'm gonna count him as a Texas Tech alum I'm gonna go ahead and just claim that they begin to
0: have this kind of, like, dance where
1: the robber is paranoid enough about the power and resources at Jesse Plumman's disposal that he's like, Okay, now, instead of me just, like, making off with this money, I'm gonna have to, like, lock you guys somewhere to where I can get far away, and that way, even if you call someone, I can I can disappear. So he locks them in their sauna outside, and he's he is leaving, to his word, he is leaving, and as he's getting to his car, he looks up at a tree, and there's a security camera. And so he's like, he has this great. I love Jason Segel's like breakdown in this, like out in the field alone, just like fuck, 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 fuck. He comes back. He's like, you fucking liars. Like there, and and he already didn't trust Jesse Plemons because one, he's a scumbag, and two, he lied about the gun. He said there was no gun in the house, and clearly he I knew love, there was a gun.
0: I love the subtlety uh, throughout this movie, but I loved how Agreed. it shows you the gun, and then probably five to ten minutes later, Jason Segel asks Jesse Plemons. Is there a gun is, in this house? Is there a gun? And he's like, no. And, and the delivery of the lie is good, and then it shows Jason Segel's face, and there's just, like, a tick of, like, discomfort. Not much. Right. But, again, when we talk a lot about writing it, we talk about information reveals and how important they are. If we hadn't seen that there was a gun in the house, that whole thing would have meant nothing. And then if later they had revealed that there was a gun in the house, it would have not mattered. But because they showed that, it gave you that amount of discomfort throughout. This whole movie does this thing where it will add a layer of discomfort like that. Clearly, yeah. this person lied. Clearly, there is a gun. Clearly, there's a camera. Well, and they didn't in- do
1: the lazy thing, which was if he, right when he goes, Is there a gun in this house? And he goes, No, there's not. They could have done a quick cut to like behind Jason Siegel's back and he's touching the gun. Like they could right. have showed it to you right there. And they didn't do that, which I think is an important thing decision to maintain this kind of like minimal camera work minimal everything in this movie is very minimal they don't use a ton of different uh locations it all takes place within the bounds of this property so i love that but so then it becomes okay now i'm gonna have to like truly get away like leave the country and this is the first time that Jesse Plemons like kind of true inner self, the mask slips a little bit and he starts to like reveal the kind of guy he is because Jason Segel is like talking about amounts of money that he can like, you know, extort effectively from this guy. And Jesse Plemons starts to kind of mock his lack of knowledge about like how much money you would need for a certain amount of time and also like the logistics of getting his hands on that kind of money
0: I, I i love the line where he's like that's not nearly referring to the amount of money that jason siegel asked for which i think was first was like hundred fifty thousand dollars. jesse clemens yeah. scoffs and is like that's not nearly enough money to live a comfortable life and then jason siegel's like well i don't think you and i have the same you know your idea of a comfortable life is not the same as mine yeah. type thing
1: and then we and then like i think the first real reveal about like the Skeletons in the closet, which I'm glad they didn't go too deep on. We're just made aware that they exist. Is Jesse Plemons getting on a FaceTime call with his assistant to secure this money? And he asks, he needs 500 grand. He's a huge douche to the assistant, like a real asshole to her. And on top of that, his excuse for the money is uh, we have. I can't remember the name he uses. I think it's, it's like Margaret. Debbie. Yeah. yeah. Back oh, it's, or it is Debbie. It is Debbie. It's another Debbie. And so you're instantly like, wow. So this guy has like not only had a situation before where he's had to produce, you know, bribe money, payoff, hush money, effectively, but, like, his assistant, he's had a whole system in place for this at some point. And the assistant, unfortunately, because of, like, the remote location and, like, the banks are about to close, she's basically like, yeah, so I'm not going to be able to get you the money until tomorrow morning. And so that sets up kind of the, the time constraints of this film, which is they're all going to be in this house together until tomorrow tomorrow afternoon yep. is the timeline we're given they end up being there till the next night
0: i um, i absolutely love that i just want to talk about the framing for a second of this story yeah because in in every story you kind of have to ask yourself is there going to be a time limit like what are they approaching for something it's a it's an event right like we have to right. stop this terrorist attack whatever in avatar the last airbender which i always talk about because it's i love it um is it's the fact that there's you know in the, a year the film fire Lord the live Ozai, action film yeah don't start with <laughs> me yeah. You talk about uh, ruff, ruffling feather, feathers like we did at the beginning of the podcast. If if we got off on a tangent again for like the third episode, I <laughs> just People ripping like, into M Night <laughs> in Shyamalan.
1: Ha, hey, have you guys listened to that podcast that's like mostly about uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, but also they like side rant into
0: <laughs> movies sometimes? <laughs> hey, have you listened to that podcast that's exclusively about George Rockall Schmidt and Avatar: The Last Airbender? <laughs> Um, but yeah, in that one, it's about how Fire Lord Ozai is going to get his powers at the solar eclipse or whatever. It, it kind of goes back to, again, I talked to Alf- about Alfred Hitchcock a little bit earlier. His, he has that great quote talking about what is it, like the loaded handgun principle or whatever, where it's essentially yeah. like, it's one thing to have a scene where these people are talking and then all, out of nowhere, a bomb goes off. And, and then you're like, what just happened? But it's another to like show these characters talking and then pan under the table and show that there's a ticking bomb underneath the table, right? It just right. creates that level of tension that you know, hey, in a certain amount of time, this thing is going to come to fruition, right? And so what happens between them and there? Who is going to change the equilibrium of the situation? And what could possibly go wrong between then and there? It's like any heist movie. Like You know what they want, right. but what's going to happen between then and there? And this movie does, I think, a great job of presenting that that idea is, hey, in in about twenty four to thirty six hours, a bag of money is going to get delivered, and Jason Siegel is going to be go, go off on his on his own. But you've got some problems. You've got, as we'll talk about, people might show up to the house. Lily Collins and uh, Jesse Plemons' marriage might start to bubble up, and their issues might start happening. We might figure out more about Jason Siegel's character, how violent he is, what his motivations are. So. I love, again, it goes. It ties really well into not revealing too much information because that leaves you just – your head is constantly spinning with all these questions about what could happen next. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah,
1: and, and, and the characters are very human. Like none of them are purely good or purely evil. Jason Siegel is uh, maybe a little more – I, th- I feel like as the audience we're a little sympathetic to him because he's presented as like down on his luck. He's the poor person in the equation. But then again, he's doing a strong-arm robbery here. On the other side, Jesse Plemons did not do anything to like, quote unquote, deserve this, but he is a huge cunt the whole time. And you don't, by the end of it, you're like, I don't feel bad that you're getting robbed because of how you came by this money and how you treat people who do not have money. And that is first revealed in the very next scene. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Oh, I was going to say the other thing with sympathy with Jeff, Jesse Plemons. I, I want to talk about this second because I listened to some people say that, like, Lily Collins is clearly the only one you're supposed to have sympathy for. And I can't disagree more with that because I think every there's four characters in this whole movie, and all of them garner sympathy in one way or another. Obviously, Agreed. to different degrees. You hit on Jason Siegel. I think that's a great way of putting it is that, yes, he is robbing, but he's, like, clearly down on his luck, and he's looking out for, like, the well-being. He's not trying to be as big of a enemy as maybe he could be as as lily collins said like you're a good guy like you're clearly not trying to hurt anybody you're just trying to get this money in bounce and he didn't even want the amount of money that he originally no. like he just wanted like five grand and he's gonna dip right i i, I want to talk about jesse Plemons because yes he is clearly the biggest pos in the film but there are a few things that i think subtly show that you should feel a little bit sorry for him. For one... Oh, of course. The reveal that, like, again, I go to the subtlety. Showing that Lily Collins has those pills that it kind of takes a little... Not not a trained eye, but you kind of have to draw the lines and, and hear them talking about, oh, when we have children, when we have children, and then when it shows jason siegel looking into her purse for lily collins's phone and then it shows the pills and you can kind of see jason siegel's like again slight tick reaction and you're kind of like okay so the audience kind of shows that these are birth control pills and then later the scene where jason siegel and lily collins are talking in front of the fire and she's talking perhaps a little bit too candidly to be acting about how she feels in the moment with like her marriage and her like life that she potentially left behind and then to close the scene it shows that jesse plemons is sitting in his bed awake still presumably yeah. like again letting the audience kind of wonder whether or not he heard all that um so again there are reasons to feel a little bit bad for oh jesse for plemons.
1: sure i think everyone has kind of cuts both ways except the gardener who is just pure sympathy he's like a purely wholesome person yeah. I feel I felt so fucking horrible for him but the gardener um, is
0: definitely a author speak into Jesse Plemons's view on the world Jesse yeah, Plemons sure. his whole the thing about again we they don't tell us the exact details but essentially he's a CEO that has created this quote-unquote algorithm that has helped companies reduce labor and workforce and he kind of views people that are victims of that as like not trying hard enough he's Jesse Plemons is like People that are anti-capitalism, that's, they think that everybody that is pro-capitalism is Jesse Plemons in a way. Like, of course. It, or yeah, some stand-in
1: for like, yeah, he's a stand-in for like the anarcho-capitalist, like techno-libertarian, like if a computer can replace you, then you weren't doing something valuable enough to not be replaced, like sure. that kind of human.
0: Yeah, and every, you know, kind of every uh, interaction that Jesse Plemons has with the Gardner- is either scummy towards the gardener, acting like he's pushing him away, or it could be tying into the fact that he's got basically a gun to his back. And
1: Yeah, and I, right I took now. it more that direction because then when they get back, and well, we'll get to that. I don't want to go too far okay. ahead because this next conversation they have I think is really crucial, which is they go out by the pool, the three of them are just sitting there, and they attempt some degree of small talk because they're like, we're going to have to kill all this time. Jason Siegel starts kind of asking first date questions, I guess, like what do you do, where are you from kind of thing. And Lily Collins is explaining how she uh, she kind of defends her existence, I guess, because he, Jason Siegel, clearly paints them both with the same brush. That, like, you know, you've, you, you're a parasite, you've effectively, like, enabled the destruction of tons of lives by destroying people's careers, and then, you know, the wife, you're just along for the ride. You just, you know, he's doing all that, he's doing the evil, and you're buying handbags with the, the blood money. Right. And she's like, no, you know, I'm in charge of our foundation. I've been building hospitals and schools for underprivileged populations, all this stuff. And she clearly feels really passionately about that. And this is where the, the complexity of the children issue comes in because she's like, yeah, you know, I'm really involved. I'm, you know, the coordinator of all this stuff. I'm going to be doing that till the day I'm dead. And then he's, and then Jesse Plemons, which I almost feel like if I was in the presence of like a robber, I would not have said this comment because I'm just like, I don't care what this guy's impression of me is, but... Jesse is like, well, that's not really true, babe. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna take a step back and you know not really be involved once. You're once gonna the be an advisor role
0: once the kid, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and I was just like, dude, why say that? Like, what's, what's, who cares what this robber thinks about your wife's career? Like, just say as little as possible to this dude. But it felt like he just really needed to un like cut his wife's knees out from under her while she's like talking about what she's passionate about. And then that's when you kind of see the complexity of having children for her, which is that she, I don't think she's against the concept of motherhood, but she's against the concept of motherhood in so far as how Jesse Plemons views motherhood, which is like, yeah, once you pop
0: out a baby, I need you barefoot in the kitchen, effectively. Like, yeah. and, um, and subtle and so, foreshadowing there is when she's describing her uh, career to Jason Siegel, and he kind of... She kind of starts rambling about all that she's done and defending herself. Jason Seals just interrupting her, and so yeah. later in the movie, when you start wondering, are they? Are they kind of? Does the robber have a heart of gold secretly? Does she? Does he care about Lily? Does he care about people? You kind of go back to that, and, and, and you're like, oh, okay. Like even when she was spilling her heart, he didn't really care. So, anyways, oh yeah, continue.
1: for sure. And so I think that uh, this is – and then Jesse Plemons kind of – as they walk back to the house, Jesse Clemens begins kind of revealing his – Be- b- Before you
0: go to that, the uh, tattoo. You got to hit on the tattoo. It's like the most important part of the scene.
1: Yeah. So she, uh, she had a tattoo and it clearly was meaningful to her. And then again, yet again, another comment that I just do not understand making in the presence of anyone other than like – like if my wife had a tattoo and I truly hated it, which – I can't imagine marrying someone and having that issue and not having communicated about it before. But yeah. despite that, Jesse Plemons needs yet again to like dunk on her in the presence of a stranger and is like, "That was the ugliest tattoo I've ever seen." And he, she was like, "Yeah, you've you've mentioned that." And he's like, kind of chuckling about it. And even Jason Segel's like, "Yikes!" <laughs>
0: like, yeah. wow, Jesse uncomfortable. Plemons just shows like a total lack of awareness. That's kind of his mo.
1: I think there are there is a lot of that among incredibly powerful people that most people do are like kind of fear in most of their this in most settings that someone like jesse Plummins exists in he can say whatever he wants like no one's going to be like hey man quit it you know what i mean he's like the
0: the alpha in every situation uh, in I, i've i heard life. that about not every billionaire but i've heard that specifically a lot about jeff bezos
1: oh i i 100 believe it i mean that I'm just that makes like tons of telling sense.
0: people to their face like well that's a shitty idea and then like walking away yeah
1: yeah. yeah. And and I mean, and I'll say this, I, you know, I recently went through the Amazon interview process and one of their like leadership principles is like this like radical honesty about, you know, it, smart people are often right is one of their like core values. So, the idea of being like almost mean about the idea of like no, we're not going to like, you know, kid gloves ideas that we don't agree with is built into their DNA. So that that makes total sense, but and it, so I think what's set up is this kind of dichotomy of Two people, both of which have their good and bad points in Jesse Plemons and Jason Segel. They're kind of these two polar opposite people from a socioeconomic perspective. And each one views the other as like a parasitic, like the root of problems in the system, right? Like Jesse Plemons views Jason Segel as you don't want to work, you're a bum, you're just looking for a handout, blah, blah, blah. And... Kind of painting uh, a poor person with the broad brush you have seen, you know, very rich billionaires paint poor people with. And then Jason Siegel similarly painting Jesse Plemons with the broad brush that you'll see people from the other end of the spectrum paint, you know, billionaires is just like lacking, all, completely lacking in empathy, completely divorced from reality about the nature of their wealth, the source of their wealth,
0: the value of human beings. And what's funny is that both of the, both of their assumptions about those people groups specifically play out to be pretty true about both those characters. Like Jesse Clinton really is an asshole and Jason Segel really is out looking for a handout.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, And so then we get this, uh, this this then kind of coalesces into this uh, campfire scene where they're going to have to spend the night Jason Siegel's decided he's going to stay up all night, so he's going to be at, in this campfire, and then each of them are going to sleep in separate rooms. I was, again, I, and I, I hate to just keep dunking on Jesse's character. I, I know he was written intentionally to be... If I'm in a situation where I'm in my home, there's a guy with a gun, he has me and my wife hostage, the idea that I'm going to just like head off into another room and go to sleep with my wife alone... You know what I mean? Like, I My protective instincts would just not allow for that. I would be at the window of that room watching to make sure she's okay until i was 100 percent sure that was the case but like you mentioned earlier this turns into this scene where uh she can't sleep she comes out to the fire she takes a beer from him she kind of you know waxes poetic about the the underlying tension in their marriage and the robber is almost kind of again just like sending the messages that like yeah i don't really care like he seems like a dick don't get me wrong and that's why i don't really feel bad about this but like i don't particularly you know have sympathy for you either so you know cool and he won't give away any information about his he said you're
0: not a victim which is true yeah she's just kind of going through like a midlife crisis and he's like okay but you don't have any real like tangible problems you just Uh, exactly
1: for sure and so they wake up the next morning and this is where like the tension and the drama i guess really wrap rack up is the As they're kind of sitting around, they're just waiting for, you know, they assume this money's going to show up in the afternoon and then he'll be gone. At this point, uh, a truck pulls in and the gardener is there. And the gardener is set up as this character who they don't really have a relationship with. Like, I, I don't think they've met very, you know, more than in passing. They're not at this house very often. So he takes care of the grounds all the time without ever seeing them. And so he sees that their car is there and he immediately comes and knocks at the door and there's this like tense scene where they're all in in the house and Jason Siegel's basically like we're all just going to sit here and let him knock you know let him let him tire himself out but he won't because he's really really proud of the work he's done with these planters and the the gardens around the house and so you have this incredibly tense and awkward scene where he wants to walk them out into the garden to show his handiwork that he's so proud of he wants Jesse Plemons to sign off on planting this big oak tree as the central feature of the yard. And he gives him the drawing, and Jesse Plemons, uh, in an attempt to, you know, which I, I can't blame the guy for trying this, he writes, call 911 instead of his signature. And that which leads I to, Which I honestly course,
0: might have tried to do as well.
1: Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Uh, it ends, But that ends up with the gardener being, uh, you know, pulled into the hostage situation as well so now there's three hostages and one guy with a gun i, I love and- that
0: scene jason siegel is watching the gardener when jesse Plemons is writing something on the piece of paper siegel is like hey let's let's go we got to go inside like trying to corral everybody give the paper back to the gardener like really does not want that to happen because he understands what could happen and then watching through the window it's showing the gardener kind of like looking at his orchard set up and then you look down at a piece of paper and you can see him squint at the paper and then kind of look around the house. And I I got a fast I gotta, walk. That's such a great, This such a well-directed scene. It, it was great.
1: I got to like, I'm not talking shit about the gardener, but man, you got to play it way cooler than that,
0: dude. Oh, 100%. You got to play
1: it yeah. way, you, you gave that thing. shit away from a thousand miles away. Like if I look down at a piece of paper and it says call 911, you got to put that so shit cool. in your pocket and act super chill. Like, yeah, yeah, that was insane. So, but he ends up in the room, and at this point, Jesse Plemons is kind of at his breaking point. And he has allowed like this image of Jason Segel as this life's loser, parasite, poor bum to build up in his head to where he's just like, you know what, why are we even listening to this guy? Why He's not going to do anything. You know, he, he won't even take action to fix his own life. He's not going to take action against us. And so he decides he's going to walk out. This leads to this conflict of like direct conflict where they're kind of face to face and uh jason siegel
0: fires a warning shot with the gun and by the way when when he's when he's pointing the gun at jesse plemons i've seen enough movies like burn after reading and the departed where i know that it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody's head just gets blown off right in front of me right so i i was and they did such a good job in this movie of setting up the tension to where i think most people watching it truly don't know what what jason siegel is going to do you know. agreed
1: until i saw the end of the movie i was like the whole warning shot thing is a like i was like that was a bad decision on his part cuz now his like his dna is on this gun already and now it's got he's got gsr on his hands like but obviously that plays into the the culmination of this film so the gardener then attempts to run and smashes through the the glass door and falls his neck on the the shards of glass and he Such a he dies way to go. Yeah. super horrible way and like in that moment jason siegel becomes like primarily focused on the gardener he's like we got to help this guy and like it's like it shatters this tension that they've all it's been entirely focused on their situation and suddenly it's all focused on this gardener for a second and once someone dies in this house the whole situation changes the dynamic changes considerably it gets super dark he ties up jesse Plemons and the wife lily collins and the money arrives he sends Lily Collins out to get it and I thought it was an interesting decision to have her, there's a car that drives by when she's out at the street getting the bag but she does not signal the car which is a, you'd think like that's, you know, almost impossible to keep yourself from doing in that moment like you're like, yeah. I gotta <laughs> get help but she goes back in, Jason Siegel's then distracted by, and this is the culminating scene of the film, he's distracted by
0: the money He's about to walk out and then he stops what right. he's doing because he hears the moaning from And he goes over and he feels the need to just like lecture Jesse Plemons before he leaves. And that's what allows. Yeah, he he gives him this speech
1: that's basically like because Jesse Plemons had said earlier, like, you know, you're doing this because you wanted to know what it felt like to be me. Like you wanted to live my life. That's why you're in my house, you know, drinking my orange juice, you know, touching my shit. He admits to that in this moment. He's like, I did want to know you know, how the other side lived. And I wanted you to turn out to be good because then it would make sense. Like if you turned out to be a good person who's just really smart, like this would all seem so much more fair and okay. And yes, the distraction of that kind of culminating conflict allows for Lily Collins to beat him to death with a statue. And then you have this great, like n- very few cuts tracking shot of her walking back into the house, having just committed a murder, like a very personal, brutal murder. She gets the gun. She walks back in and Jesse Plemons is like, do you kill him? Holy shit, babe. She's laughing. Like he's, and, yeah, he's still he's being set, a piece of shit in this moment. You know that like in my, as I was watching it, I was like, man, you've said a lot of shit to her this weekend that is going through her head right now. And then she just fucking shoots him cold dead and murders him, goes outside puts the gun in the hands of Jason Siegel's dead body and walks off into the night. And that is the end of the movie. And so that is the moment where I was like, okay, that's why they had him shoot the warning shot because it would make zero sense if he had no gunshot residue on his hands but there's a murder victim with a a bullet wound inside the house, so that was their Yeah, I don't think, I don't don't really
0: call this thinking about that, though, you know? No, but but
1: that's why the movie, that's why the movie had that happen, right? It was like, they needed him to shoot that gun in order for the forensics of that situation to make sense, because otherwise, like, it would have been a hole that would have just existed, that, like, someone gets shot in the house, the cops get there, there's a guy with a dead guy with a gun, but he's never fired the gun, so they fixed that, at least. Now, it's totally up for interpretation as to, like, would she still get away with that? Probably not. To be honest with you, like they would, you know what I mean. Like they would have figured that. Yeah, but, but
0: I, I did ask, love the ending. It, I, I think they. I think they leave it. I thought that the way they did that was good enough to where you. Assume I, I she agree. Gets away with it,
1: and and uh, and and we don't really know like where she's gonna go, like her because that was her whole life. She just her whole life that she's been on this. You know, she's kind of been discussing this. There's been this dialogue between her and the robber, between her and Jesse, almost an internal dialogue about. The path her life has taken since she met him and like she's kind of felt trapped on this like you know, she's on a train, she's not in a vol she's not voluntarily moving forward anymore. Now she's like, Well, I chose this path, I'm going down it and now that's all been wiped clean, like clean slate. So we just see her walk into the night like clean air. Now
0: what are you gonna do? Well, that's uh, kind of the point, because she says, you know, once she decides, you know, she talked about her wedding day and how if she decides to walk down the aisle, she knows what she's going to be doing for the next 30, 40 years. But if she if right. she turns around and doesn't walk down the aisle, she doesn't know what's going to happen next, but at least it's hers. And that's the decision that she made at the end of the film. Remember, and, and, and it's funny that she keeps looking down at her feet, and it's kind of the same. It goes back to the, her discussion about the wedding when she looked. And she even said, talking about her wedding, I looked down at my feet and thought, if I step forward this happens. If I step back, this happens. And so it it showed her do that again. And every time that she looked down, what did she see but that rose tattoo that she loved that Jesse Plemons, her husband, didn't like, right? That was kind of just a, a, a motif of their of their marriage and all that she gave up, or basically she gave up her individualism to be with him. So it, you no know, good I, guys. I think no good know, guys in this movie. Yeah, like, no good guys. I'll say that this, like going back to the YouTubers. That well, I, I say that I'd the watched, the
1: farmer, the the gardener, was yes, a good guy. He was a good guy.
0: The the YouTubers that I watched that were like, I thought the editing was really dumb and how like. Lily Collins just murdered him for no reason. And all of a sudden, I'm like, dude, you were not paying attention throughout this film. Like, yeah, that was that, for,
1: that was not for no reason.
0: Like there <laughs> was, I mean, everything from her story about the wedding and what she what she thought of her life to what Jason siegel and Jesse Plemons represented and what Lily Collins represented. Well, and, and like we don't the, know the, the whole
1: story with the Debbie thing, but like she knew about Debbie. Remember, she mentions it at the fire. She's like, yeah. did he say Debbie? So you know that there's been like, I'm assuming infidelity of pretty yeah. significant proportions. Like.
0: Yeah, there's, there's. It wasn't a random ending. It was not a random ending no. at all. It was no. very well. I mean, but it, but at the same time, it left me. I didn't see it. But then, as it was happening, I was like, "This makes a lot of sense." Um, Agreed.
1: Do you think that everyone got what they deserved?
0: I don't think anybody got what they deserve per se. Like, I mean, even Jason Siegel's character, like, did he deserve to die? Uh, no, maybe. no. I, mean, I, I more so I, than more so than the other tr- people.
1: That's an interpretation that I've seen is that it was kind of like chicken, you know, chickens coming home to roost across the board that like, especially if the assumption is made that like, she's not going to get away clean from this, that like her attempt at like breaking out into individualism is actually going to culminate in her going to prison, which is an even more, you know, she considers herself trapped now.
0: Well, you're really trapped if you go to prison for murder. Um, Yeah. Given how this movie was directed by, I think his name is Chris McDowell, which by the way, he's. Uh, Lily Collins' husband in real life. Um, oh, it's Charlie McDowell. Yeah, Charlie no McDowell. Way. Sorry. Who, by the way, his mom was the mom and stepbrothers. Uh, she. Yeah, That's she's so funny. Yeah, but um, I think that the way that they directed this film, where if they wanted you to think something, if they everything that they wanted you to know, they would tell you, and everything they didn't want you to know, they wouldn't tell you. So part of me thinks that if Lily Collins like left a piece of evidence at the crime scene, they would have they would have showed that. I think, but. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, my that's fair.
1: I, I love that. I love that it had enough room for this kind of discussion. You know what I mean? Like yep. the minimalist approach to the movie, the like you mentioned, the lightweight dialogue as far as like leaving so much breathing room for the actors. I I think we we lack that a lot in modern movies, especially this kind of movie that ends up on Netflix, like the kind of movie that they see at a film festival and then purchase like so many of those movies that I've watched like that are they take zero artistic liberty. Like there's no risks taken and there's a lot of risk taken in making a movie like, oh, dude, that is that or like seven underground. Like that is the kind of movie that gets watched by a bajillion people. So I don't blame them for making it at all. But it just takes zero risk you can you can skip, like, 10-minute chunks of the movie and not miss anything. Like, it doesn't subtract. You have to watch every frame of this movie. Right from the beginning, dude, like, the opening shots of this movie that are just, like, effectively establishing shots of the orchard and the house with the very, like, subtle score underneath it that sounds kind of like an old movie, I would compare it to, like the opening frames of like uh hail caesar you know it, it looked yeah. like an old hollywood movie with the script that they chose like the text style that they chose for the opening credits i loved the whole thing i um, love the
0: speaking of opening the opening credits in a lot of old films they would just have a a drawing or a painting of a landscape and they would just be like you know humphrey bogart and that yeah exactly, exactly. And then it, and then it'll like have the title in like cursive with the around it you know starring in windfall and it will just like play a song and show all of the credits with one shot for like two minutes and then it'll like the screen will kind of like fade to black and then it will come back and it will be like the first scene they basically did that yeah yeah I agree I loved
1: that a movie I would compare this to if people who are listening to this liked this movie there's a great movie that I don't think anyone watched except me it's called Mass um and it came out in 2021. It's another chamber drama focused around exclusively about the kind of heavy, a heavyweight performance by several uh, people in an ensemble cast. It's got Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs, Reed, Bernie, and Ann Dowd. And it is the story of a... Um, I'm not going to go into a huge description of this movie, so I apologize. But it's like, uh, just to give you an idea of what it is, it is uh, it's 10 years after a school shooting took place. And it's the parents of one of the victims and the parents of the shooter who committed suicide during the shooting. So both kids are dead Um, meeting in the basement of a local church to like find closure by having a conversation with one another 10 years after this traumatic event. And through just like them being in this room, super amazing like performances by these actors and kind of like, again, the using like subtle body language cues dialogue decisions. We start to learn a little bit more about the family dynamics of both of these households and like why, you know, each one found themselves in this situation. Very similar set of dynamics involved that I I saw in windfall and I loved it. It was obviously it's not a fun movie. It's a heavy movie. But again, if you like kind of that chamber drama, high-pressure boiler room type feel. It's another great piece of art. And I came away from Windfall being like, this was amazing. I did need to watch something afterwards kind of as a palate cleanse because it's not a fun... I didn't find Windfall fun. You know what I mean? Like, it did not leave me feeling good because I was just like, oh, man, like, Jesse sucked. Jason Siegel's a piece of shit. Lily killed someone. Like, no one... And the the gardener's dead. Like, everyone had a bad outcome. So,
0: yeah. A a few other things that I think were good artistic decisions that to me, didn't make it feel quite as dark was 90% of the movie was in the daylight and it was, like, perfect weather outside. And the one time that it was dark outside, they had the campfire and and then when they weren't having the campfire, they were watching the Three Amigos, which, by the way, kind of another good thing that they decided to do is when they're doing the comedy scenes in Three Amigos and Lily Collins is laughing and Jason Segel is laughing and then Jesse Plemons is kind of watching them laugh. So, again, it kind of adds to the idea that, like, you as the audience are wondering like is lily collins and jason Siegel like again you don't know their backgrounds so you're like do they know each other do they yeah do are they like they're hitting it off
1: yeah i was like is there gonna be a weird like triangle here yeah Um, so
0: again it just adds to like not revealing information throughout it leads the audience to wonder these things for themselves and try to connect the dots throughout the film which i think if they would have had too much information you know, like a movie. You know, even though the genres are different, like something like Red Notice, where they like sit there and explain things for five minutes, and then actually explain so things much, for five dude. minutes. Like, if that you would have had that, so it would have ruined this film. So, one one more thing about the mood I was going to say was there was also little bits of brevity with almost uh, like dark comedy. You know, like when when Jason Siegel comes back after realizing that there's a camera and he's trying to find Lily Collins and Jesse Plemons and he finds them in the orchard and he's chasing Jesse Plemons, who's really slow. And then they're like running around the tree trying to capture Jesse Plemons. And then um, again, when they're talking about the money on the porch and how much money is enough, that's kind of a funny scene of just Jesse Plemons being like, well, that's not going to be enough. Like, they're ne- Jesse Plemons is trying to get Jason Segel to increase the price of how much he's trying to hold him hostage for. I wouldn't even call them that funny, but it was enough dark comedy to kind of get you through the story without feeling like it's super sad and depressing. Like it was a a borderline realistic look as to if you were being held hostage, it's not going to be like, the person holding you hostage they might be super violent and they might be super like have a mask on the whole time but like in this movie jason siegel was kind of a normal dude that was holding them hostage and had enough of yeah. a normalcy to him to where like they could be in these kind of funny weird situations or talk about real life as they're just sitting there which i thought was i thought was a cool Agreed. way to go about it i
1: i think it may be a complete product of the movie midsummer but the yeah. whole like chilling daylight thing like the like a menacing use of daylight has become something that i notice in film um and i think it was very intentional that they like set this movie in like a beautiful sunny location like you mentioned with perfect weather and yet something like uncomfortable is happening in the dichotomy and like the setting those uh, kind of setting that dichotomy up um which side note we should do an entire episode on midsummer because that is just like I hate horror movies. I'm a huge wuss when it comes to them, and that is, like, such a master class on how to create, like, amazing horror without, like, getting super gross and et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. again, another movie that used... You know, there is no nighttime in Midsummer. It's all gorgeous, Scandinavian countryside, like, perfect weather, and yet it is truly terrifying. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, like similar, similar d- dynamic here where it's, like, they're sitting in, like, what anyone would probably describe as like a near perfect environment. And yet something truly uncomfortable is happening and more uncomfort is coming out through the, as the situation kind of unfolds.
0: One more quasi deep thing that I, that I made, I have to get off my chest when we talked about the gardener, I did think it was interesting how in this movie, there's a lot of ideologue shared between Jesse Plemons and uh, Jason Siegel. And also with Lily Collins about this back and forth about basically capitalism and who's succeeding versus who's not you've got this guy who's like a tech ceo who's a huge asshole who has made it quote unquote and then you've got kind of on the other end of the spectrum you've got jason siegel who by all accounts maybe hasn't worked as hard and and certainly is trying to cut corners we, 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 really we just don't know, don't
1: know. like yeah. and i i wondered because jesse like keeps accusing him of being someone that he fired you know what i mean he brings it up several times and so i yeah. wonder if that is the case like because i could see like a real sense of rage coming from you know you work really hard for years and your job is just declared redundant and you feel totally powerless like you never did a bad job just the job is no longer required like that's a yeah. truly
0: horrible feeling for someone and again I, i'll add by saying that i don't think anybody that died in this film deserved it i don't think anybody involved in the situation necessarily deserved it on the grand scheme of like what it would take to deserve dying. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that like, as far as the innocent party versus the guilty parties, you know, you've got these people that are at odds with each other on opposite ends of the spectrum of the winners and losers of capitalism, which we talked about with like Nightcrawler. But then you have Lily Collins, who is very much entrenched in the middle. Like you can, like she was an assistant. She was kind of making her, like making her way through the ranks of capitalism. She talked about how she said something to the effect of like, once you're an assistant, that's what you are. And that's kind of where you sit. And then, she yeah. basically marries into wealth and how she's now running these huge organizations. And that kind of defines her personally. So she's not necessarily as far into on that spectrum as Jesse Plemons, but she also kind of respects what Jason Siegel's doing and like his freedom. She talks about that. So Lily Collins is constantly being strained between like part of her is benefiting off of the Jesse Plemons stuff, but then also she kind of wants to be a little bit more like Jesse or uh, Jason Siegel. But the one person, the one quote unquote innocent person in this whole story is you know that that perishes is not the capitalist who's made it and it's not the guy who got stomped under the foot of capitalism but is trying to cut corners it's the guy who's working his ass off in the system and yep. hasn't quote-unquote made it yet it's the gardener and the gardener yep. if i if i were to ask um the writers which is it's kind of the people who started it and produced it also helped write it but charlie mcdowell directed it if i asked charlie mcdowell hey Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think one of the themes is that the people who work hardest in capitalism, like, often aren't you know it's it's the people who cut corners that make it and then it's the people who are the huge billionaires like they make it but then it's the middle class the people who are working their ass off for their family they're the ones who quote-unquote get screwed you'd probably be like well, yep, it's, it's
1: it's almost like the people it's almost like the two the two ends of the spectrum are both people that see the the system for what it is right like it's right. almost like they're both cynical like jason siegel is is representing the people that are like the system's inherently corrupt, it's broken, we're allowing assholes to, like, cut corners and, like, take advantage of tons of people. Then you got Jesse Plemons, who's like, yeah, it's dog-eat-dog, dog, and you don't know how to eat dogs, so you're a loser. Like, that's what it is. And then you've got this truly wholesome depiction of the gardener who is doing exactly what both sides would say is good, right? Like, Jesse Jesse Plemons openly says that, like, that guy's amazing, and uh, when he when he's harmed, the gardener's harmed... Jason Siegel comes to his aid and is like clearly so hurt by him being harmed because he represents this like this is the person that you – this is the kind of person you stomp on. And like you said, it's just like it's – I think it's a real depiction of like the person who's a true believer, who bought in, who's working really hard and is a self-starter and is like coming up with new ideas and trying to like provide value to their employer. Like that's the person who gets got. And that sucks. Like, yeah. So I agree, man. I think there's there's a lay and the people that you mentioned that like kind of thought this movie was shitty. I I wonder if they like either thought that that was just too reductive or didn't did just miss that or didn't care or what,
0: but I think, I think missed it. Also, I, I will say that like a few of the, a few of the pieces of information that I consumed, like if it was true, like art critics, that are kind of and it gets, it gets it sounds super stuck up but like if it's like writers or established film critics they were rating it high it's your like mm. youtube critics that like are always like oh, yeah. marvel instant reaction it's like they they didn't like it so you yeah. kind of like okay that makes yeah, sense
1: yeah I, I and i and i really came to view all those kinds of things differently after the movie and we should do, definitely do an episode on this as well uh, annihilation came out and yeah. annihilation is a movie that like it's it is Uh, it creates such a stark delineating line between people that, understood what that movie was this like heavy allegory entirely metaphorical like the the physical literal events of the film almost don't matter compared to the themes and then you'd go on YouTube and there would be this very stark like disconnect between like there's people that are like let's talk about annihilation it's this brilliant masterpiece about trauma and the role it plays in our lives and like how what we are after we go through the hero's journey and maybe we're not a new person we're just ourselves but wearing our trauma then you'd have the other side that'd be like the aliens in this movie don't make sense because if their ships do this then how could they you know what i mean like they're like taking everything yeah. completely scientifically literally and you're like yeah man, that's not really what this movie's about at all so like i agree with you i think there's like you can definitely see it's it, you know it goes back to high school like I was the kind of kid in high school and I it took me years of maturity and you know growing smarter but we'd we'd read like The Scarlet Letter and I'd be like this book sucks you know what I mean because the events of the book are shitty and it's only as an adult that you're like oh there's like stuff happening that's not on the page that I right. didn't understand, right, and the context in which it was written, and like, man, I remember my poor English teacher in eighth grade. They tried to get us to read *Metamorphosis* by Kafka, which is like that's that's, oh, that's heavy yeah, for that's like heavy. a an adult,
0: like that's heavy for like, me. And I'm a writer, and uh, I'm like
1: agreed, agreed. Uh, and dude, imagine getting me and Webb were in that class together. Imagine like in eighth grade trying to read *The Metamorphosis* and understand <laughs> it. <laughs> like, it didn't go well, but yeah. you know what? Bless her soul for trying to do that, man. I, I give her all the credit in the world.
0: And and here's the thing is like, this is a, you know, we do a lot of movie, television, book reviews on this pod to talk about the writing. This is a podcast that is equally, I feel like, for audience, but also for writers. So I will say that um, if you're kind of on the fence of, of watching this, but you have any interest in the craft of like writing and directing and like you have an interest in trying to find the underlying meaning in things, I think this film will resonate with you. Now, if you are somebody who doesn't care about that at all or you're in the mood to watch a a movie that you can just kind of like have your phone out and you're flipping through instagram as you're watching you probably won't like this movie as much but again this movie is only an hour and 30 minutes long like for me i was able to just literally put my phone away and just watch the whole thing um it's tense enough to where you don't necessarily feel like it even lasts an hour and a half like to me i remember pausing it to see how much time there was left and there's only 14 minutes left and i was like wow Oh wow, this yeah, is going it's, really
1: fast. It's, it's tight and concise for sure, which
0: yeah. I appreciated. Final thoughts before we get into the the ratings?
1: Yeah, I think we've said most of it. I, I would love to see Netflix uh do more of this. You know, this is like this is a classic festival movie. Like this is a yeah. movie that would have in previous years, before the rise of streaming services, would have like been at Sundance. A lot of people would have said it was good. It might have gotten a limited theater release, and then maybe you find it at like a really cool avant garde video store. But yeah. I hope that they will continue to buy and put out uh, work like this because I think there is a market for people, you know, trying new art via streaming platforms and they don't just need to produce Bright over and over again, which is, is a masterpiece in its own right. But, you know, hey. No, yeah. hey, uh, you, hey, okay. You, know you probably the orcs,
0: did you know the orcs are I, black?
1: Man, I, I was just going to make that joke. I was like, you probably just didn't understand that the orcs were actually black people in the yeah. movie. So if you think yeah. about it from that perspective, it's pretty crazy.
0: The elves are white people, also. By the way, they're
1: rich. They're rich white people. Yeah, and bordering on Jews, to be honest with you. Like it's it it goes a little it's close for bad. my taste. It's pretty it goes racist. a little close for my taste. Like yeah. it's the it's the uh, it's the same problem Harry Potter has. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, all the banks are run by. Goblins, goblins, you know, goblins with big old noses, you know, goblins.
0: It's, it's rough. Yeah. It's it's not good.
1: I'm gonna play that video game though. That that, Dude, shit that looks video fire. game looks sick. <laughs> oh, I'm very I'm,
0: excited you, about yeah. that. If you na- if you make your player black, it automatically names him Thomas Dean for you.
1: <laughs> and every time you every time you walk into a room, the other NPCs are like, "Look, it's our black friend, Thomas Dean." <laughs> <laughs>
0: I will never let her live that down. She's too rich. She's gotten too successful. I'm, and I'm Bro, too jaded. She, she's
1: she's totally invulnerable from all real criticism because she's like the richest person in the world. So it's fine. Like <laughs> She's all over the <laughs> map, totally with that.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. I, I feel like I could rank this anywhere between like a 7.8 and like a nine and feel pretty comfortable with it. So I'll just, I'll give it a flat eight. Like, I think it is just a clean cut, good film for exactly what it tries to be. A tense with a, with a, with a smidge of humor, shame drama with, you know, it's it, the dialogue. Isn't like crazy impactful. It's realistic enough to where it, it, again, it just grounds you into the scenes. The characters, I think do a good job of having their problems, but not being so problematic that you're just like, Oh, this person is just a huge piece of shit. I think they could have gone yeah. in that direction. I think they could have had Jason Siegel be more like benedict cumberbatch in uh power of the dog where you're just like god i hate this guy and then when and then you're just like that changes the dynamic of the film where you're like how are they going to kill Jason Siegel? Whereas in this film, you're kind of you you are kind of rooting for them to go their separate ways, right? Yeah, um, just get
1: the money in peace because the money's yeah. not going to hurt Jesse Jesse Plemons. He's gonna right. he's fine, and this money changes hit Jason Siegel's life, and he can just go away and no one gets hurt. Like that's that seems the fact like a good he, outcome.
0: Yeah, and the fact that he didn't even want that much money to begin with. So yeah, it, it, exactly, again, you I think you just brought up a good point was the fact that it is a billionaire, multi billionaire, like that you there you don't sit there and go like man this family is going to be screwed if they steal half a million dollars from them it is very much like a you as the audience probably i would venture everybody wants that outcome where jason sequel just gets the yeah. money and dips so
1: the, the, the a, a character like jesse Plemons probably owns a watch that costs more than that so it's sure, like yeah sure.
0: let's let's go so
1: they yeah. do such I'm, a good I'm job gonna... of
0: creating complex characters um I, it, it is a tight, concise film at the hour and thirty mark. um It's shot really well. We didn't really get into that too much, but the setting, the 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 way that they frame each event and the the lighting and all of that is is just so well done. Love all the characters. Love the subtlety of like how you learn about Lily Collins, especially. I could go on and on. I maybe I should rank it higher than an eight, but. Um, I I I think think I'm going
1: to agree with you. I'm going to say it's an eight, too. Um, I agree. I, I think you said it perfectly at the beginning that like this didn't set out with like incredible. It didn't have ambitions to be some like Oscar season masterpiece. It doesn't have like it's not taking on. It takes on some important issues, but it doesn't go so heavy handed with them that it's like, you know, a message piece or like, hey, this should be like a movie everyone sees in order to understand the dynamic between class in America. Like it had very it had very tight, concise everything, including the aims of what it was trying to accomplish. And I think it did that very well. And so an eight is a great I think it's a perfect description of this movie. It's like, you know, well above average and definitely worth your time. I hope we see more uh, from Charlie McDowell in the future. He did a great yeah. job.
0: I would I would say that this is a movie that everybody should see. If you don't like it, then that would tell me probably more about your taste. Not not necessarily in a totally negative way, but it would tell me more about your taste as an audience member than maybe this film itself. I I kind of put it in that category where it's so good that if you walk away not enjoying it, I think you either weren't paying attention, you were flipping through your phone, or... Maybe you just have a different taste than me. And I could go deeper than that, but I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> and, no, um, right you know, I, I I heard somebody say that, like, it's probably not one that you need to watch again. I would agree with that. Like, once you kind of figure out the resolution of the film, like, it's satisfying enough. The only um, reason
1: I would watch it again, uh, not that I would watch it again, but I could definitely see, like, once you know the ending, the lens through which you view all of it, you just I would just spend the whole movie being like, dude, just leave. Like right now, just take the five grand and dip, you know what I mean yeah. like y- you've you've like when he goes out to his car and he sees the camera be like, who gives a shit? shoot the camera and then <laughs> then leave yeah like
0: everything you know i it's another thing I'll say is like there's some pretty bad language, and if so, if that offends you, you probably wouldn't like it. But there's, I feel like the violence is subtle enough, in the Agreed. you know there's not a, there's no nudity or anything like that. There's no like crazy it's used well. They like use they use drugs. violence correctly, which is yeah. like it's incredibly impactful. They use it in the right places. I liked it, and, but they don't like show dead bodies. It's not like uh, even when it shows the gardener, like the gardener's his death is the most gory, but he's just kind of like covering his necks. So like yeah. dude, it's nothing like the departed or things like that where like it shows everything for glimpses right it is agreed other than if the language wasn't as bad it probably would be pg-13 honestly yeah yeah for sure anyways so cool i really enjoyed it man hope they do more indeed most definitely. All right. Well, as always, we appreciate you guys for listening. As in, if you uh, if you're new to us, again, like I said earlier, just like and subscribe. Give us a rating. We greatly appreciate that. As always, this has been uh, Sam and Andy with Novel Discourse, and we will see you next time. Peace.
1: Peace.